You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Evil company corrupts good habits. Who are you hanging around with? Who are you associating with? I can guarantee all the thoughts that you have, the good intentions that you have of bringing those people to the Lord, chances are is not going to happen. You have a better chance of you sliding down to them instead of you bringing back them to God. You can be following the Lord and life's good. Then, wham! One poor decision ruins it all, not only for you, but also those close to you. We see this today as Pastor Dave talks about the story of Jehoshaphat. Sure, he tried to bring two nations back together, but hanging out with Ahab wasn't the way. It was just plain bad. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 21 as he begins his message, Consequences of Good Intentions but Bad Choices. that he might be able to reunite the nation. Remember, it used to be one nation under God, for, as a matter of fact. It used to be one nation led by God. But after Rehoboam, they split. And ten tribes in the north became Israel, and two tribes in the south became Judah. So they had, were split. But maybe Jehoshaphat thought that they could reunite. It was a good intention. He had good intentions. We saw this back in chapter 18 when we studied, but he makes a poor decision. He allies himself with the most wicked king, Ahab. He did this by allowing his son, Jehoram, to marry Ahab's daughter, Adalithiah. Adalithiah. I don't know why I can't pronounce that. Remember our study from 2 Kings. Her mother was the wicked queen, Jezebel. So we have this union. And although Jehoshaphat had good intentions when he made this alliance, it almost killed him. Remember, they went into battle. And if he hadn't cried out to the Lord, he would have been killed along with Ahab. So even though Jehoshaphat, which was a righteous king, he would seek, why he would seek to develop this relationship, we don't know. It's difficult to understand. But if you're honest... We can relate to his intentions. Sadly, bad intentions or bad decisions along with good intentions and compromises have a habit of coming back and causing you grief in your later life. That's why I've entitled this message, Consequences of Good Intentions but Bad Choices. The consequence, the ultimate consequence of this poor decision, as we will see, is disastrous. Not to Jehoshaphat himself but in the life of his son. And that's what we see happening. So in verse 1 of chapter 21, we read, And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers, 
and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. So Jehoshaphat dies and is buried with his fathers. Jehoram, who is the firstborn, becomes king. Things go south in a hurry. Let's look at two and three. He had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azriahu, Michael, and Shephathiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their father gave them great gifts of silver and gold and precious things, which fortified the cities of Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. So we see that Jehoram had six brothers. They had been given great gifts by their father, Jehoshaphat. And when I read this, I'm thinking, maybe this is like their inheritance. They were getting these things because Jehoshaphat was dying and he was giving out his inheritance. Silver, gold, precious things and fortified cities. He wisely gave these things to the brothers, but he had an ulterior motive. He was trying to appease them by giving them fortified cities to keep them from bothering the one who would be king. He was trying to appease their greed and lust for power. So he gave them these things. They weren't to be concerned with Jehoram's reign. It says, but he gave the throne to Jehoram. He gave the throne to Jehoram. However, uh, this is a little bit of an aside. When Jehoram married the daughter of Ahab, she introduced him to the worship of Baal, an idol, a deadly idol. And they had horrendous practices in that time. What's interesting here is that Jehoram had a godly father. He had a godly father, and he watched his father. He saw the way his father ruled. He watched his father the way he dealt with the people. He heard his father pray when the great multitude was coming against him. He heard this prayer. He saw his godly father, but he didn't learn from him. He didn't learn from them. Jehoram saw this. He watched with his own eyes, and he heard the prayers, but he was led astray by his wicked wife, his wicked wife. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15, in verse 33. It's a verse that we use a lot. It says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Evil company corrupts good habits. Who are you hanging around with? Who are you associating with? I can guarantee all the thoughts that you have, the good intentions that you have of bringing those people to the Lord, chances are is not going to happen. You have a better chance of you sliding down to them instead of you bringing back them to God. Not that God can't do that. I am not discounting God's grace, his mercy, and his wondrous. He does wonder miracles. But we think we can do this. I can bring them to God. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you're right with them. You've gone from here to their level. You have sunk to their level. It goes on to read, Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. We have the knowledge of God. You know, one of the scriptures that we love, we use all the time, is 
when Peter looked at the Lord and said, where can we go? You have the words of life. And I like to add to that, why would we go anywhere else? Why would we choose to leave the Lord to go? Why would we leave the banquet table for the garbage can? Why would we do that? But we have good intentions. What fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship does light have with darkness? None, exactly. You know, James understood this. James understood this when he wrote his epistle. He says this in verse 4 of chapter 4, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? For there, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. An enemy of God. It says right here, this is New Testament, folks. Makes yourself an enemy of God being friends with the world. You are either in one of two kingdoms. You're either in the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. You can't be in both. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. You cannot do that. You cannot straddle that fence. These kingdoms are mutually exclusive, and you cannot be in both. You cannot have both. Jesus himself said, no man can serve two masters. He'll hate the one and love the other. He'll hold one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. Now, he mainly was talking about money here, mammon being money, but it applies here too. You can't serve two masters. You can't be in two camps, folks. To be a friend of one is to be an enemy of the other. James tells us that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And if you become a friend of the world, you're an enemy with God. Enmity is a harsh word. Enmity is what Paul uses to talk about the spirit and the flesh. He says that the spirit and the flesh inside us are at enmity with one another. There's a boxing match going on for control of this body. There's a fight going on. So this is very important to us when we look at this. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. We sang it a minute ago. You can have all this world. Take all the world you want, but give me Jesus. I'll be satisfied with Jesus and Jesus alone. And we, when we studied 1 John, we spent a lot of time studying 1 John, another one of my most favorite books. And John says this in chapter 2 in verse 15. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world's passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. See, don't be friends with the world. John said, don't love the world, the things of the world. You know, the world is extremely attractive. It's extremely appealing. And you see all these things on TV, these ads, these flashy things, you know, all these fancy cars and these fancy clothes and the big houses and all this stuff. And it becomes very, very, but what does does it appeal to? Our flesh. It appeals to the old man. It appears to my old nature. I got to have that. And I'm going to do anything to get that. I got to have that in my life. It's folly choosing the world over God. It's folly. It's foolishness. God has an enormous true love for you that he proved by Jesus dying on a cross. He proved that love to you. He undying love he has for you, an everlasting love, he told Jeremiah. He has an everlasting love for you. He only wants your best. Satan offers you the world. He offers you everything, but he gives you nothing. There's no return in what Satan gives you except misery and heartache. 
There is no return except that. To yield your life to him, I can guarantee, is destruction. It is destruction. It doesn't make sense to receive a few moments of pleasure for eternal torment. Weigh it out. Paul said that our light afflictions are up for a moment, and they work an eternal weight of glory. Mark talked about that on Monday night. It works an eternal weight of glory. So we may suffer a little scorn from the world because of our belief in the Bible and because of our love for Jesus Christ. We may get poo-pooed. We may get looked down upon. Oh, I can't believe it. You call yourself a Christian. But we're going to spend eternity with him. We're going to spend eternity with him in that glorious kingdom that he's putting in that place that he's building for us, that mansion he's building for us right now. We're going to spend eternity with him. I love that. A wise man will look to discover the long-term consequences of the short-term benefit. The wise man will go, wait a minute. If I do this, this will happen. Jehoram, nor did Jehoshaphat ever look at the long-term consequences. They never looked at the long-term consequences. Jehoram's sin was loving those who hated the Lord, trying to be a friend to the world. James calls them adulterers and adulteresses, and he uses the word in the spiritual sense. When you go after another God in spirituality, you are committing spiritual adultery. When you're going after another God. Gods of passion, gods of greed, god of materialism. Don't consider the long-term consequences for the thing we're doing. They had forsaken the Lord and provoking him to anger. They had become morally sick. And then he offers the prescription of the cure. He says, clean up your act, put away evil, do the right thing. But remember, this is Old Testament. They had to get right with God. They had to do the things that were right in God's eyes. He promised them that if they will follow this prescription, they can have a good life. They can have an abundant life. And it makes sense. The good life is to love God and to live in his kingdom. But we're under the new covenant. We're under God's grace. We're under God's mercy. What do I have to do to receive that? If I'm in the wrong, repent. Repent and call on my advocate, Jesus Christ, with the Father. And I I ask him to forgive my sin, which he already did on the cross. And I recognize that. And I come to him with a repentant heart. And my sin is washed away. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful gift we have of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing. Jesus told us to pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will. If you're an enemy of God, you need to be a friend of God. Now, if anybody represented the world system in this day and age that we're talking about, it was Ahab and Jezebel. They really were the epitome of the world system. See, the world creeps into your life unsuspectedly. You allow it to creep in. I'm not saying you welcome it. You might, but you usually don't welcome it, but it sneaks in there. It creeps in one way or the other. Maybe not blatantly, but you allow it in sometimes with these words. I can handle that. That doesn't bother me. I can take care of that. Oh, I kicked that habit a long time ago, so that won't hurt me. I've got it made. Well, it might not hurt you. It might not even touch you. But what about the person who's with you? What's it going to do to that person? Jehoshaphat went to visit Ahab and he took his son Jehoram with him. 
And he was in there. And all of a sudden, Jezebel's daughter caught his eye. Case closed. It's all downhill from there. It's all downhill from there. Joseph was a good and godly father, but he made a bad decision and it greatly affected his son. And not only his son, but it affects the entire nation now. It comes back and affects the entire nation. We don't realize how deep our sin runs. We don't realize how deep our sin can run. It's sad, especially in the world. We want to be so much like the world. And it's scary because a lot of people want the church to be like the world. We're called to be different. Favorite line of the chosen, get used to different. Get used to different. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be different. They're supposed to know. So we have this problem. We see how badly that Ahab was, I mean, that Jehoram was affected. Look look at verses 4 through 6. Now, when Jehoram was established over the kingdom of his father, when he got everything together, when he became fully king and he had everything together, what did he do? He strengthened himself. Yeah. And he killed all his brothers with the sword and others of the princes of Israel. Not only did he kill all the brothers, but he went down the line and killed anybody else who was related to them. Got rid of all his competition, killed them all. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Remember, I said all the kings of Israel were wicked, just as the house of Ahab had done. For he had the daughter of Ahab, the wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. I love this quote that I read. I don't even remember where I read it. Quote, the wicked fear where no fear is or pretend to do so in order to conceal their malice. In order to conceal their malice, the wicked pretend that they're afraid, but they're not. He killed all his brothers, killed them. God probably could have killed him right on the spot. God could have taken him out. But look at verse 7. To me, this is a but God verse. This is a but God verse. Yet the Lord, you could say, but the Lord, would not destroy the house of David, because he had of the covenant he had made with David, and since he promised to give him a lamp to him and to his sons forever. God did not destroy him at that time. The Lord could have very easily poured out his wrath upon the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, but instead he shows great mercy. He shows great long-suffering. He shows great grace. He shows his great loving kindness to all the people instead of killing them. He could have. Why? Because of the covenant he made with David. God is a keeper of a promise. God is the original promise keeper. He will keep his promise all the time. When God makes a promise, it is true. It is yes and amen. His promises are always true. What did God say to David? Take a minute and turn to 2 Samuel 7. In 2 Samuel 7... Specifically, verses 8 through 17 says this. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you out of the sheepfold from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and cut off all your enemies from before you and have made your name great, like the name of the great men who are on earth. 
Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish your kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with blows of sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from you." And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all the vision, so Nathan spoke to David. The Davidic covenant. God was telling David that someone from his seed would sit on the king, the throne forever. It's a true speaking here of Jesus Christ. The bottom line is Jesus Christ is from the house of David. And he sits on the throne of David and will always sit on the throne of David. And this is why God keeps his promise. He knew what he had promised. He knew that the Messiah would come through this line. So he had to let this line go. And therefore he allowed them to do. God promised David that under his reign, he would establish permanent and secure Israel. He promised first that he knew David being a godly shepherd and was concerned about the welfare of the people. The word lamp here simply means covenant. God promised David from one of his seed, one of his descendants would sit upon the throne forever. I will set up your seat after you. And God specifically promised a hereditary monarchy for the house of David. And it was important for God to repeat his promise specifically because there had never been a king succeeded by his son because the first king was Saul. God is always faithful. God is always faithful. When he promises something, he will always keep his promise. We have a promise of eternal life. God is faithful to keep that promise. We will all have that. He has a, we have a promise that we will be raptured. He will keep that promise. We have a promise of a second coming. He will keep that promise. Whatever God has promised in his word, which was true, inerrant, infallible, it will come to pass. All of it, every ounce, every tittle, every single thing in the word of God will come to pass. Why? Because it's God's word. He wrote it and he's faithful and true. That should give us great hope. That should give us great solace. We should get great comfort from that. Knowing that he's with us, he'll never leave nor forsake us. Knowing that he's going to do a mighty work in us. Knowing that we're his workmanship, his poema. That he's doing a great work in us and through us. Knowing that we'll be sanctified. Knowing that we'll be glorified. And knowing that all those things have happened. Knowing that we have all those beautiful gifts from Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. That should make us just soar with gladness. If you can't rejoice at that, forget it. Rejoice that you have salvation. Rejoice that your sins have been forgiven and you're going to spend eternity with him. So much that we can be grateful for, so much that we can be thankful for, so much that we can be hopeful for. But instead, we put our heads down and we mope and grope because things just don't go our way. I have a bad day or a bad moment. I'm the same way. I do the same thing. And we think, what am I doing? When you realize what God has done for you. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. 
Pastor Dave is sharing teachings that comes out of the ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. In today's message, Pastor Dave has been in the book of 2 Chronicles. Within this book, you get to know all kinds of characters who made an impact on Israel's history, good or bad. A notable lesson that's given through this account is that God gives blessing to His people when they remain faithful. But when people allow their sin nature to take over, it's easy to see how things start to unravel and then fall apart. Just like a closely knit stitch on a blanket, the people of God were blessed and stayed united with God while they were following His ways. But when they turned to their own devices, they just became a tangled mess of yarn in a sense. Their purpose and plan became useless when they were following their own way and what they thought was best. Isn't it easy to get into this type of situation where you think you know better than God? Before you know it, you've become your own tangled and messy pile of yarn as well. How about following God's pattern and seeing the benefit of what that brings? If you'd like to hear more messages from 2 Chronicles, learning of God's faithfulness, go to assurehoperadio.com and look under the Messages tab. Well, we're about out of time for today's edition, but we encourage you to think and pray about what God's teaching you personally through this series in 2 Chronicles. Come back here next time to hear Pastor Dave share more on Assure Hope.